Hey y'all, this is Stephen Howe, co-host of Not So Private Equity. We have a great discussion ahead of us today, but before we dive in, I want to thank our sponsor, ECA Partners. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm specializing in low and mid-market private equity. To learn more about ECA services, you can reach them through the website eca-partners.com. I'm very excited to introduce our guest, John Van Tyne. John is a managing director at P4G Capital Management, a San Francisco-based private equity firm that makes control investments in lower middle market companies. They specialize in manufacturing, industrials, infrastructure, and business services companies. John, welcome to Not So Private Equity. Hey, Stephen. It's great to uh, see you. We've been bumping into each other a lot at the conference circuit, so good to uh, see you again. Yeah, John, we uh, sounds like we hit the same conferences there and glad to circle up. I'm excited to talk a bit more about your career in private equity. I know that you've seen, what is it, over 30 transactions at this point. So we know you, you've seen a lot and excited to hear about some of those stories. But before we get into the transactions specifically, can you tell us about your career and how you ended up in the world of private equity? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I've been at this for quite some time, so pretty old. Don't want to age myself here. But uh, when I was in business school at Georgia Tech, became interested in private equity. This was in the kind of mid, late 80s. And it was just really a, a cottage industry at that point in time, really in its infancy and got interested in it. And when I first got out of business school, I actually started out on the leverage finance side with Heller, who was a, a great credit group back in the day in terms of uh, doing LBOs and management buyouts uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and then transitioned over to another group called GE Capital and was in that kind of role for maybe five years and then was fortunate enough to get into private equity with a firm in Atlanta called River Capital, where I was able to cut my teeth for the first time in private equity Ended up being there for about four years. And then what kind of really accelerated my career in private equity is when I made the jump in 2002 to move to New York and join a private equity firm up there called Bradford Equities that at one time was part of Bessemer Trust. Was there at Bradford Equities for 12, 13 years, eventually became a partner at the firm and uh, was doing kind of soup to nuts position of not only sourcing transactions, but execution and working with portfolio companies to drive value during our ownership period up until a liquidity event. After Bradford, I got recruited out and joined a group and how I ended up in Miami in 2012 with Trivest Partners fairly well-known private equity firm down here in South Florida, was there until 2017 and joined a group up back up in Connecticut in the Northeast called Clearview Capital. Great firm, learned a lot. Two different styles between Trivest and Clearview in terms of the way they approach things, both extremely successful. And so I got great exposure, not only on different investment philosophies, but really how to scale a private equity firm, particularly at Trivest. Got recruited out of Clearview Capital two years ago or two and a half years ago to P4G Capital. P4G Capital had just closed on their inaugural fund and I was recruited to join them and help them in terms of their origination efforts and also working with the deal team in terms of execution. That's great, John. I appreciate you walking us through that. Now, you've seen different private equity firms in different cities. Right now you're working with a firm based out of San Francisco. As you mentioned, you worked with firms in Miami and then up in New York. Are there any differences between the way private equity firms and different cities operate, or is it fairly similar across the entire country? I would say it's really not geographic specific. It's more philosophically of how you look at transactions, whether you're 
I would say more of a growth investor or a value investor. Just to kind of highlight P4G, so give you a little background on the group. I mentioned we raised our inaugural fund last year or two years ago. It's an institutional backed fund, 210 plus million. In addition to that, we also circled this co-investment vehicle that gives us the opportunity to more than double the size of our fund. So I tell everyone, think of us as a $400 million plus fund doing controlled deals Typically in founder-led, family-owned businesses, companies with 3 to $25 million of EBITDA, we are a control investor, tend to focus from a very broad level in the following sectors, manufacturing, industrials, and business services or tech-enabled business services, uh, tend to be very opportunistic within those broad sectors, given that we're a first-time fund trying to put money to work in high-quality assets in those spaces. We do, though, have one area that we have more of a thematic approach to, and that's in aerospace and defense. So the 15 people within P4G out in San Francisco, we have this group called our Portfolio Resource Group that consists of five individuals that come from a 20-, 30-year operating background within aerospace and defense. And so that's an area we know really well and feel like we can be great value-added partners to management teams that we team up with in those deals. And so broadly, that's kind of a high level. Since we've closed on the inaugural fund, we've done four platform investments, two in A&D, two outside that specific sector. And it's been a great ride so far. Our goal this year is to do another two platforms. We closed one in January of this year. So it's definitely interesting times in the market. And then in terms of your question, in terms of just, you know, different approach within private equity funds, as I mentioned, I don't really see much difference. It's not really driven by geography. It's more driven by philosophy and approach. When I was at Trivest, there were tend to be more value approached investors. Clearview was much more of a growth equity fund, really investing in companies that had really strong management teams that were in secular growth industries. Example, healthcare, they were a big investor in. So it really gave me a broad base of exposure in terms of different perspectives on how to invest within private equity. I would say at P4G, we're probably a little bit of a hybrid. We do look at value, but we also are willing to pay market clearing multiples for those businesses that are in high growth sectors. And if, you know, comfortable paying 10 plus times multiples in the past and bidding on businesses that were in those spaces. And so interesting perspective, you know, going from one private equity, you think they'd all be the same, but uh, they do have different approaches and different value adds that they bring to the table. And that's been kind of my perspective within the private equity industry here at the various stops along the way. The other thing, too, I'll share is that I've kind of not only had broad exposure within those different types of investment approaches within private equity, but have kind of sat on and worn a lot of different hats within private equity in terms of, you know, when I first got into this industry, it was very much a cottage industry where you not only sourced the deal, but you also executed the deal and then worked with the portfolio companies post-closing to drive value up until a liquidity event. Well, things have definitely progressed and changed over time and become much more specialized within private equity. I eventually, as I moved over to Trivas from Bradford Equities, transitioned into more of an origination business development role and have spent the majority of my time since then really on that side of the business and kind of bring a unique perspective because I don't think there's too many people on the origination side that also come from an execution side. And so able to add value for P4G in terms of uh, reaching out to all of our deal referral sources and being able to be a key senior decision maker in terms of whether or not we're going to be able to do a deal and provide that feedback on a timely and quick manner. 
That's really interesting. I can see the value in having someone with an execution background because whenever you're out there evaluating deals, you can kind of see the whole runway, right? Right. See which levers you can pull and, and get a good sense of, of how that company might grow in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, something that they think is a little unique from an origination perspective. And a lot of, particularly at the larger banks, when you're dealing with MDs at larger banks, they want to deal with people on a peer-to-peer level that are decision maker, part of the investment committee and are decision maker within the firm. And so me being able to bring that, I think builds a lot of credibility for the P4G brand out in the marketplace. Are there any trends you see in private equity? I mean, you've talked about some of the changes that you've seen over the past couple of decades here, uh, turning from a, a cottage industry to very specialized, you know, specialized functions within private equity firms. Any trends that you, you see in private equity these days? Yeah, the biggest trend is, you know, when I originally got in the business was financial engineering, right? So we would pay five, six times for a business. We really didn't have to think that much about adding value to our businesses. We just kind of let them grow organically and we would have a 30 plus percent IRR and, you know, make three times our money. Well, given the amount of capital and private equity funds that have been raised over the last 20, 30 years, that market has definitely changed. And so, whereas when I got in, there was too little capital chasing too many deals. Now it's completely flipped where you have too much capital chasing too few quality deals. And as a result, people are paying market clearing or uh, valuations and multiples on transactions. And because of that, you need to be able to now to drive returns to add value once you have a portfolio company. And adding value is really kind of three ways to add value once you own a business that's pay down debt, grow EBITDA, or have multiple expansion. And so... You have to have a value map that kind of drives one or all three of those once you're in a company. And so it's become much more operationally intensive. You've seen private equity funds go from generalist to specialization where they can see uh, low hanging fruit, whether it's healthcare focused, industrial focused, or our thematic area of investing in aerospace and defense. We have a bench, as I mentioned, of five guys that come from a 20, 30 year operating background, we're able to walk through plants and easily see the low-hanging fruit and the value creation strategies that we can bring to the table that a generalist fund is not going to be able to see if you don't spend all of your time in the space. And so, yeah, it's definitely changed, not only in the things that I just mentioned, but the processes have changed in terms of how deals come to market. You know, before it used to be Joe knows Jim over at the country club. He has a company 30 years ago. He wants to do something with it. He doesn't know what to do. We were the only private equity game in town. So obviously we got the deal. It used to be a handshake deal. 90 days later, we don't a company. Today, it's very process driven. The information is out there on the internet. Sellers know what market multiples are being paid for their businesses and or their businesses in their sectors. And it's just become a much more efficient market with the amount of capital overhang chasing these private companies. Whenever investors are looking at which private equity firm to put their money into, so thinking about LPs, are they asking questions about your operations team? Since, as you mentioned, that's become a very important part of driving value. Yeah, definitely. I think when you're raising capital, LPs want to see how you differentiate yourself from the other thousands of private equity firms out there, whether that's from an operational perspective or a thematic approach in terms of focusing on specific industries, whether it's a sourcing strategy that you're getting proprietary looks or quasi-proprietary looks. I tell everyone there's no real proprietary deals anymore. The seller doesn't just talk to one 
potential buyer, it's a matter of degree of how much proprietary the deal is. And so definitely LPs are very focused on what's driving the alpha in the portfolio, whether that's sourcing, how you buying businesses up front, what you're doing once you own a business in terms of value creation strategies, and then how you exit the business. So all three of those things are important factors that LPs look at to evaluate how a private equity fund is adding value through the process. Can you tell us a bit about your sourcing strategy, John? I, I know that you hit the conference circuit quite a bit. That's where we, we run into each other often. But tell us how you think about going about finding companies to acquire. Ah, that's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell everyone there's no secrets in private equity. I tell everyone, like, look, there's no secrets in private equity. Everybody is extremely smart in this business in terms of the talent that's attracted. And at the end of the day, particularly on the sourcing and execution side, it's all about hustling 90% at the end of the day. And so I spend a lot of my time just uh, staying in front of our deal referral sources, which typically is like, you know, a boutique investment bank, a business broker, and up to more of the kind of middle market sell-side M&A advisors that everybody knows in the market. And so really try to stay top of mind. And how do I do that? We kind of have a multi-pronged approach of how we go to market. So it's really kind of driven by in-person meetings. So I typically on the road, maybe 60% of the time traveling to various cities where these intermediaries are located, making sure that I'm setting up face-to-face -face meetings, developing really strong personal relationships with the principals at these firms so that if there is an opportunity, one, we're getting to see it because it's in our box, but more importantly, have enough, a strong enough relationship with that individual that hopefully we get steered as the preferred buyer to the seller if we're in the valuation range of where we need to be. And at the end of the day, that's all we can ask for is a, a bat on an opportunity like that. And so in addition to having these in-person meetings, for example, last year we had I think a little over 400 in-person meetings with our deal referral sources or intermediaries. We also have a digital outreach, over 14,000 intermediaries in our, I would say our CRM that we try to stay in front of. Obviously I can't meet with all those people in the course of a year, but do a lot of digital outreach, whether that's email, phone calls throughout the course of a week and a year, making sure that we're top of mind opportunities and people understand what our value prop is and the type of opportunities that we're looking for. It's become extremely competitive. As I mentioned, there's been a lot of specialization in private equity. Having an origination deal sourcing person that's dedicated to that function has become much more prevalent within private equity. And it's become really required in terms of if you want to become an asset manager and grow your assets under management to have somebody out in the market that's constantly sourcing deals, building the brand, and just sourcing as many opportunities as possible. My job is really to make the funnel at the top as large as possible. And so I really kind of focus on other outreach areas that can really kind of drive deal flow to the firm. Can you walk us through one of your recent transactions, John? I'm curious about the handoff points of a transaction because you mentioned you're focused on top of the funnel. Yeah, so every handoff point within a firm is different depending on the firm. So within P4G, I can give you an example of our most recent deal. We just closed on a company in January this year called Lake Air Metals that was sourced from a process. It's a, a contract manufacturer and does metal fabrication and assembly into like a Fortune 1000 customer base. It was a business that we sourced again through a process intermediary up in the Midwest. I was involved in terms of sourcing that transaction and then 
the way it works within our firm is once a deal comes in, we have on a weekly basis, a Friday origination meeting where we kind of walk through our whole pipeline of opportunities that came in during the week and uh, kind of prioritize what opportunities we should be focused on from a deal team perspective and what opportunities are probably not a good fit. And so the ones that are a good fit are something that we allocate resources to from a deal team perspective and move forward on. So I stay involved in that process. We issue an IOI if there's continued interest. Once an IOI is accepted, hopefully it's at evaluation level where we get invited to a management meeting, which was what happened with the Lake Air transaction, obviously. Ended up working with the deal team in terms of getting an LOI out the door and then went to the actual management meeting, actually, once our IOI was accepted. And so then once the LOI is signed, it's pretty much somewhat handed off. I probably stay involved from just a very high level perspective, but don't get involved in the day-to-day details unless there's an issue or problem that needs to be worked out with the seller. And so again, we closed the Lake Air deal in the middle of January. And, you know, it was a really interesting deal because it was previously owned by a independent sponsor, companies headquartered up in Minneapolis that had done a great job growing the business organically and through add-on acquisitions. And we were able to partner up with a really great management team that rolled over back into the deal with us. And strategy and value map there is really kind of continue and carry on what the independent sponsor was doing, which was really accelerating the growth of the business organically through a couple of key initiatives. And then also doing add-on acquisitions is a highly fragmented market. And there's a huge pipeline that we're kind of evaluating and working through that a couple of them kind of down the road here in terms of where they are in terms of uh, potentially becoming add-ons for us. So Really interesting deal. Really excited about that. I know the whole team at P4G was really happy to get that one across the finish line. And our goal is to do hopefully another two platforms this year, similar to the Lake Air deal. That's exciting, John. It sounds like you've been able to carry a lot of momentum through the beginning of 2023, despite various market headwinds. Right. Yeah, it's been really interesting. You know, if you would have spoke to me at the beginning of 2023, in fact, I told the team, look, our origination in terms of deals that we see here kind of moving forward may be a little bit challenged because I'm hearing a lot of processes and a lot of sellers are kind of holding off on coming to market and that we need to be cognizant of that fact if we're looking to do two more platform investments this year. But surprisingly, our deal flow has been extremely strong in the first quarter of this year, which has been really surprising. We've had kind of, I would say, this quarter this year has probably been a record quarter for us just in terms of actual number of deals that we've seen. And I think that, you know, since I've been there for a year and a half and I've been focused on originations, a whole solely dedicated all of the kind of hard work of traveling around and meeting people like yourself, Stephen, has definitely gotten traction and the P4G name has gotten recognized in terms of what we're looking to do and and been well-received by our deal referral sources. So our deal flow has been really strong. I have seen continued interest from founder family-owned businesses in this first quarter that would like to come to market or have come to market. They tend to be more event-driven than market timers. On the opposite side, we've seen private equity-backed portcos not come to market, although there's a lot of deals if you talk to the usual sellers of these businesses that have a lot of product on the shelf. Everyone's kind of holding off, bringing portfolio companies to market just simply because of the disruption in the credit markets, uh, hoping that comes back. I don't think that's going to come back this year. 
I think if you have a B or C asset, you're definitely going to see an impact on valuation simply because of the pullback in leverage that you're getting on these deals. We're seeing if you have an A asset, A assets have been fewer and farther than between over the last couple of years. There's a scarcity of those. Given the scarcity of those and kind of flight the quality that a lot of private equity funds are looking to invest in those companies, given the uncertain economic headwinds, you're seeing valuations for A assets continue to trade at premium valuations, if not higher than what they were in 2021. So it's a really interesting market. We've seen this year also a huge uptick in corporate divestitures and carve-outs. A lot of these Fortune 1000 companies that were really acquisitive over the last three to five years, now facing economic headwinds and corporate layoffs are kind of rationalizing their portfolio and really kind of looking at, do we need this kind of stepchild asset that we picked up along in an acquisition and now divesting of those assets? So we've seen a huge uptick in corporate divestitures and carve-outs. John, that's extremely helpful insight. It sounds like it's good to hear that you're doing well through 2023 here. I appreciate you chatting with us about that. John, thanks so much for joining us on Not So Private Equity. Yeah, Stephen, I really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you on the road soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll run into each other here in a week or so. Cool. Well, thank you. Of course.